2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. Church family, hear God's word. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, from the Bible, we will be seeing how we are generous because God is generous to us. Now, we've uh, called uh, this Sunday Generosity Sunday, and you'll be naturally asking yourselves uh, why we're doing a Generosity Sunday. And when we think of a theme in the Bible, as we'll see, is this one, that we are generous because God is generous to us. We also, why is that important? We should be asking that kind of question anyway, but especially when we announce Generosity Sunday, you'll be naturally thinking, well, why are we doing that? This is something that uh, we've been thinking about doing uh, for a little while, and we're going to try it uh, this year, and if it goes well, we'll do it again next year. If it doesn't go well, we won't. Um, But here's... Here's why we're doing this, and and first, here's why we're not doing this. So this is not an appeal for money. That's not what this is. Uh, This is not uh, because we as a church are behind in our budget. We uh, deliberately plan to do this on the first Sunday in February or thereabouts because the thinking was that if we needed to uh, tell the church that the end of year giving was not quite what we planned and therefore we needed to make up uh, some extra giving. And that would happen in January and by the time we got to February we'd hopefully be sort of through that and therefore we could have a teaching about generosity and the biblical principles of generosity that was disconnected from an immediate budgetary need. So this is not an appeal uh, to make up a budget shortfall. 
And in fact, this year at Cottage Church, I haven't looked at the numbers too closely this week, but I'm told by the deacons that this year we're actually running right now significantly ahead of budget, something like 110% or something like that. And the end of year giving was some of the strongest giving we've ever seen. And now we're not... <laughs> um, we haven't got to the end of our financial year yet, so please don't stop giving. Um, but, but that's just to underline for you, and I want you to sort of, in a sense, relax. This is not an appeal uh, like we're behind budget. That's not what this is. What is this? Well, in, in church life, it's important with some regularity to overtly talk about money. Obviously, um, money is a part of what we do as a church. We've just prayed for our giving, and, uh, and we have a budget, and our financial, the financial parts of the church should be managed and overseen with fiduciary responsibility, and they are. There should be accountability, and there is. And all that is important, and so it's significant that sometimes we just are overt about that, so that everyone knows and there's nothing hidden and it's clear and, 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 and obvious what we do and why we do it. So that's partly it. Uh, but it's also because even when Christians start to think about money, they tend to put it in a wrong category. They, they, they tend to think of it as a, as a kind of charitable giving, like you give to 501c3, you give to some other charity and... This feels a bit like that, and they put it in that, in that category. And then Christians tend to, to feel about giving. They think about giving in a way that is not really particularly close to the Bible's approach to giving. We, we tend to think of giving in terms of sacrifice, hard work, duty, let me, let me, and actually, the Bible doesn't think about it that way at all. I mean, the most famous part of this passage is God loves a cheerful giver. It should be cheerful, light, fun. Uh, I was trying to think of how to illustrate this, and this may not be the best illustration of it, but at least it is an illustration, so that's good. Um, if you know um, computer games... You, you know that they're massive, and in fact, the economy of computer games is, is bigger than movies now, and one very, very popular um, computer game is called Call of Duty, which I think you should never play if you have, maybe you should, but I'm not recommending you play it, but it's well known, and it's all about sacrifice and fighting, and it's duty, and people tend to think of giving in that sort of way, it's like it's a, it's a hard battle, duty, and there is responsibility, of course, but instead, if giving were a game, which it isn't just a game, but if it were a game, it's an illustration, if it were a game, it would be a bit more like, you know that very popular online game that the New York Times has just bought, Wordle? It'd be a bit more like that. It's just kind of fun. You mean I get to give? Wow, that's fun. I wonder what I could do with it. It's cheerful. Fun, upbeat. That's the biblical attitude. God, uh, we are generous because God 
is generous to us. So let's see how the Bible teaches us this. And as we go through this passage that we've just had read out, there's a lot of detail here, and obviously I'm not going to get into all the detail in the next 25 minutes or so, Um, but what what I'm going to do is show you the basic structure of it so you can get the main theme there and put it into context. And to do that, there are basically three parts to what I'll be walking us through. So the first is a story. There's a st- so we're jumping into this passage and, the, and we need to, there's a story behind it. And you need to understand the story to understand what Paul's saying here. So I'll tell you the story. And then in the passage, there's a principle. And it's a really fascinating principle that he articulates in different ways two or three times. I want you to see that principle. And then throughout the passage, there's a particular metaphor. And the metaphor is really where this, this cheerfulness lands. And it's, it's often misunderstood or mistaught or ignored, but the metaphor is important. So we're going to do a story, a principle, and then a metaphor. So the story is uh, Paul's... Uh, relationship with the Corinthian church. So obviously he's writing to a church in Corinth, and you can read this story in the book of Acts. Paul had founded a church in this city. Corinth was a, a newly re-founded city in which Paul founded a church, and Corinth was a bit like Las Vegas. It was a nouveau riche, get quick, get rich quick, um, sexually immoral, uh, um, uh, fascinated by power and, 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 and fame, particularly using words to become famous. Uh, if you were on the comedy circuit, you'd go to Corinth, that sort of thing. And, and obviously, having planted a church in Corinth, the Christians there had to think through what it meant to be Christian rather than Corinthian, because to be Corinthian meant all this, you know, get rich quick and money and fame and power and clever words. Well, what does it mean to be Christian in that context? And so they had to think that through and they, they made some errors. And so Paul then, you know, this is of the second Corinthians, so there's a letter, the first letter to the Corinthians, but scholars tend to agree, it's almost certainly the case, that actually in between first and second Corinthians there was another letter, sometimes called the painful letter or the harsh letter, and another visit of Paul in person, the painful visit, and, and, and so in the first letter, Paul is correcting them about various things and challenging them, and, and then, and then they, they don't seem to really listen, and so there's an even more painful visit where he really like, rebukes them harshly. And, and, then, uh, and then we get this, this letter, 2 Corinthians, where things are taking on a more positive feel. They've begun to figure out what it means to be Christian rather than Corinthian, and they're much more on the right track. And there's a lot more to celebrate, but there are a couple of things they still haven't got right. And so towards the end of 2 Corinthians, he addresses those couple of things. One is this issue of generosity or money that we're looking at this morning. And the other, which we're not looking at, but just to give you the story, the context, the other is the issue of leadership. They were fascinated by the super apostles, you know, the really charismatic leaders. And Paul seemed weak and pathetic and by comparison. What Paul is saying there is, no, actually, you misunderstand leadership. Leadership, Christian leadership, comes out of weakness. Because then it's God's power that's revealed. And so he, he talks about that with them. And we're not doing that this morning, but just to give you the story, the context, there are these two parts that still need to be addressed. 
that part about leadership, but then also this part about generosity. And the reason why they'd gone off track about giving, about money, about generosity, was because Paul, as the apostles to the Gentiles, had a particular ambition for what we tend to call the Jerusalem gift. So the Jerusalem gift was Paul's idea that the Gentile Christians would give money to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who were in poverty and needed resources, and, and they would give money to the Jewish Christians, this Jerusalem gift, not just to help them out, but to express the unity that Jewish and Gentile Christians had together. He wanted it to be a tangible, financial expression of a heart unity between the Jewish and the Gentile churches. And he'd been talking about that, but the Corinthian church had got behind in their giving. And so that's the, that's the story behind these couple of chapters that are all about generosity and giving and this particular passage we're looking at this morning. So that's the story. But there's also a principle. And the principle is just fascinating. The principle is the gospel. But I want you to see how he expresses it. So if you've got your Bibles open, you look with me, in, in, I hope you do, chapter 8, verse 9, you'll see there how Paul expresses this principle. He does it in two or three different ways. It's the principle of the gospel, but look how he, how he puts it, how he expresses it. Verse 9, chapter 8, this is also all about giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So what Paul's doing there is he's retelling the story of the gospel. Uh, Jesus became incarnate as a, as a human, uh, fully God, fully man, lived and then died and then rose again. But he's telling that story, but he's telling the story through the, 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 the lens of finances. He was rich became poor, that you might become rich. What he's saying, of course, is that the core principle of generosity is the gospel. We are generous because God is generous to us. So he uses that financial lens. It's pretty amazing how he does that. But then even more amazingly, if you look at verse 13 in our passage uh, that we just had read out, that we're centering our teaching on this morning, verse 13 of chapter 9, he again articulates the principle of the gospel, but through a different lens. Look how he does it now, verse 13. By their approval, that's the Jerusalem Christians, that's who he's referring to when they receive the gift, by their approval of this service, that is the generosity of, of the Corinthians and other Gentile Christians, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. In other words, what he's saying there is actually their generosity, the Corinthians' generosity, is an expression of their doctrinal commitment. It's their confession. We think of the Nicene Creed, we think of, if you're a Presbyterian, the Westminster Confession. Well, Corinthians, this is going to be your confession. Your financial giving is, is an articulation, expression of your doc, 
doctrinal beliefs because we are generous because God is generous to us. It's actually a confession. But there's one more uh, way he expresses this gospel principle, which is even more astonishing, I think, which is at the end of the passage, verse 13, where he says this, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Now, what, what kind of gifts is he talking about now? He's been talking about money and generosity and giving. And, but what is God's inexpressible gift? Well, it's Jesus. And now the two intertwine. Because we are generous because God is generous to us. The one is an expression of the other. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. So the principle is the gospel. That's why we're generous, because we're gospel people. We're generous because God is generous to us. Now, so there's a story, there's a principle, but then there's also this metaphor. And uh, the, uh, uh, the metaphor is harvest, but the, 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 the tricky part about communicating this metaphor in church circles, in contemporary church circles, is because it's so often being misused um, and, and because it's been misused, then in reaction it's been ignored. But when we see it, it really helps us understand this cheerfulness piece that is the key feeling of the passage. Not duty, there is a responsibility to give, he's calling to do so. But the feeling is cheerful. So the, the, the metaphor here, so we had the story, had the principle, now the metaphor, the metaphor of harvest. So look, it's everywhere, of course, but look at verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's a, it's a metaphor of giving related to sowing seed and reaping a harvest. Or he says the same thing in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So this metaphor of sowing and reaping and seeds, it's, it's all a picture of harvest. Now, the tricky part of this in contemporary church life, and when I say contemporary, I'm a historian. I mean in the last hundred years. I think you're, that was a joke, but you can, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's like, okay, good. Um, uh, the, the, the tricky part of, confused, of, of communicating this is that it's been so often misused. People have you know, talked about the law of the harvest. If you give $50 to God, he'll give you $100 back. Doesn't, doesn't it say... Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's what it's teaching, right? And so because of that misuse of this passage, it's just been ignored. But, but it is a misuse because the harvest that Paul's talking about, he explicitly tells us in verse 10, is the harvest of your righteousness. 
Now, that doesn't mean that God won't provide for our needs if we give generously. In fact, Paul was quite explicit about that. He said, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Or verse 11, you will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. It is the constant experience of Christians that when we treat what God has given us as the anchor and this, she puts it, all things come from you and of your own do we give you. That when we treat that what God has given us with open hands, God keeps on giving us more so that we can keep on giving more. It's the constant experience of Christians. But of course, the ultimate harvest that we want isn't financial. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who many of you know that I studied for a while, Jonathan Edwards put it really uh, well when he said, and I won't give you the full 18th century lengthy sentence, but basically he said, uh, to my mind, there is no external behavior, Scripture teaches, that is more likely to cause us to abound in God's blessings, not only temporal, meaning not only financial, but even spiritual. In other words, that God provides us uh, with financial needs is a small thing. What's even more amazing is that when we give, we're more likely to experience intimacy with God, to know Him better. That's a remarkable thought, the harvest of righteousness. And Edwards um, cites... Uh, for this uh, Isaiah 58. I'll read it for you. Isaiah 58 verse 6, the Lord says through his prophet Isaiah, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and He will say, Here I am. That's the astonishing thought of this harvest metaphor, is that Paul is saying, actually, there's a connection between our generosity and our experience of God's intimacy and power in our lives. So we've had a story, a principle, this harvest metaphor. Well, let's bring it down and figure out how how that can actually be put into practice in our own lives uh, today. So uh, first of all, practical, and then cheerful, and then visionful as we seek to apply this. So first of all, practical. Paul actually is being very practical with the Corinthians. So he has said to the Corinthians, uh, because you're behind in your giving uh, to this Jerusalem gift, then uh, let me remind you on the first day of the week, that is on Sunday, when you gather together, it's one of the biblical evidences that Paul's assumption was that Christians gather together on Sunday for worship. When you gather together on Sunday, each Sunday for worship, set aside uh, money so that you can be generous. In other words, it's planning, it's practical. Uh, 
And obviously uh, these days uh, we uh, have also other tools that can help us. The online um, giving allows us to, to plan our giving. And if we're not practical about it, if we, if we are if we failing to plan to give is planning to fail to give. Set aside money, plan it out, figure it out. You can do it online and set it up. And um, Again, this isn't an appeal because this isn't an appeal for money. This is gener- we are generous because God is generous to us. This isn't a budget issue. It's, a, it's like cheerful, and we'll get to cheerful in a moment, but he's calling it to be practical in it. If you, if you have never given, how about starting? Just something. And if you're already giving, how about giving just a bit more? Plan it out, how you can do it. Uh, our Director of Administration and Finance has online a, a booklet that can help you figure out all the different practical things. So practical. But then also, as I said at the beginning, the key feeling of the passage is cheerful. And the most famous part of this text is verse 7 where it says, For God loves a cheerful giver. It's, it's fun. It's cheerful. It's, it's, to be, it's to be upbeat and, and wordle rather than like duty, oh, oh, sacrifice. And wordle and fun and what can you do and how can, how can you do it? And wouldn't it be great if I could do just a little bit, a little bit more with this and a little bit more? That would be so much fun. And Like, like a, almost like a game. Like, oh yeah, I could do a bit more. It reminds me of the, the. I came across this the other week of the, the youth pastor who, went to the Presbyterian. It was a Presbyterian church. Went to the Presbyterian board of the church, and asked the Presbyterian board for permission, to buy a. We talked about game gaming. Buy a game console, for the youth group. Uh, you know, Xbox or PlayStation or something like that. And the Presbyterian board came back to the youth pastor saying, no, don't buy a, a game console. Instead, buy a chess set, which struck me as about the most on-brand Presbyterian thing you could possibly do. And, you know, I understand. You know, and having just thrown Presbyterians under the bus, I should say something about Baptists and... Uh, um, you know, how many Baptists, this is my favorite one on this, how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Answer, change? <laughs> so anyway, an equal opportunity offensive moment. Um, but, but it should be fun. Just to live, I'm just doing that to like light it. It should be fun. You know, the other day when I think I was, I'm preaching again tonight, and when I've got like a double, you know, preaching three times Sunday morning and then Sunday evening and come back to preach, and I was feeling like I needed a little bit of a pick-me-up, so um, I was in line at Starbucks to uh, get uh, some coffee, and, you, you know, the, the ministry runs on prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit, and caffeine, and so there I was getting my, my go-to, which is America, Americano, like go-to pickup. And, and waiting in line, I got to the front of the line, and I found that the person in front of me had paid for the coffee. 
It's not a huge thing, but it was, it, it was a thing. So maybe that was you. Thank you. This is just, I made a difference. It was a cheerful thing. Uh, we as some of our staff, uh, not the whole staff team, but some of the staff team were out for lunch the other day. We went out to celebrate something. We were sitting in the restaurant and having a good time. And then, of course, the moment came when the bill was ready to be paid. And then we discovered that someone in the restaurant had paid the whole bill. That was... That lifted the mood. I thought, oh, wow. Now, what can you do? You know, who could you buy a Starbucks gift card for? Who could you, the, the, we've got like, uh, we, because of Omicron and COVID, and we've still got like a thousand people online, or so, thereabouts, and, and, and some of them have medical needs, and some of them are older, and, and fear coming uh, to a public space, and for whatever, you know. And, but who could, a widow, could you buy them some flowers? What a difference that would make. Wow, I got someone bought me some flowers. Yeah, like, think about it. Be creative about it. Have fun with it. Cheerful. Uh, but then, visionful. And as I said, often Christians think about giving as just as, uh, in, uh, to the church as just like a subset of charitable giving like 501c3 and obviously a church has human organizational and legal elements to it of course but the church the biblical church is more than that isn't it the the church is God's plan God's mission God's way of reaching the world of of gathering his people of if of of building up his, 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 his kingdom. It's, it's the church. And so what could, be, what could be more exciting than being able to contribute to that? And, and for us here as a church, and of course at College Church, I, because I'm a pastor of the church, I suppose in some ways I'm biased, but there's so much. The, the, when you're giving to College Church, you're giving to missionaries, to the global expansion of the church, to the STARS disability ministry, uh, to the resale stores, to it's just on and on and on. You can see all the different things, the, the training for pastors that on, on the website. You're giving something really fun for the progress of the gospel. And uh, yesterday we had our membership class and the membership class was, we think, the largest we've ever had. It was 68 people in the membership class. And as I was hanging out with some of the people afterwards and asking, like, why are you here? What's, what, what's brought you here? One of the big things was we've been looking for a church that actually opens the Bible. That's exciting that we could get behind that. All the confusion out there, all the Christian confusion, all the division, all the uh, angst. We're a church at every level of our church where the Scriptures are our anchor and, and we can get that message out. It's, it's cheerful, visionful, practical. Well, let me uh, finish with this um, illustration of the, of, the, of the point of the sermon. 
when I was young, there was a movie that I, we used to watch uh, fairly regularly. It would come on television with some regular repetition. It's called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, the story, of course, is that uh, Willy Wonka, the head of this chocolate factory, has a competition for children that they could win a lifetime supply of chocolate. And they go to this extraordinary chocolate factory, and at the end of it, none of them get the supply of chocolate. E even Charlie, because Charlie and his, his uncle have taken a bit of candy, and so uh, the head of the chocolate factory, Willy Wonka, dismisses them. You stole, you failed, you didn't win, goodbye. And so there's a like, heaviness to that moment. And then Charlie, as they're about to leave, having not won the competition, Charlie uh, has in his pocket a piece of candy that Willy Wonka's adversary had asked him to steal from the chocolate factory so that he would have the, the secrets to how that was made. And he has it in his pocket. And he goes back to uh, Willy Wonka and just puts the piece of candy on the desk and walks out. And there's this moment in the story where the head of the chocolate factory just puts his hand on this little bit of candy and says, So does a good deed in a world of weariness. <laughs> like, yeah, Charlie, you won. And it lifts the whole thing. Generosity. Because God is generous to us. Let's pray together. Oh Lord God, we do thank you that you are such a generous God and we pray that you would increasingly shape us in that, in that model of generosity as well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.